The Inside Ellen Road podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate Leeds, postcode LS53AP. Check out PR Supplies on Facebook for all your home retail needs. Hello, welcome back to the Inside Ellen Road podcast. Boy, has there been plenty going on inside Ellen Road this week. Two high-profile departures, one high-profile arrival, one high-profile assistant manager denied employment because of jury service. It's all happening, Graham. I said to you last night, if I'm dreaming, you'd wake me up, wouldn't you? Um, to some, the thought of Sam Allardyce managing their club might be a nightmare. And while it isn't for us to say, what we do know is that the next month is going to be nail-biting. It's going to be box office stuff. It's a fever dream, this entire episode. I said to you on Sunday, after the Bournemouth defeat, a Bournemouth defeat which made Javi Gracia's exit feel inevitable. I said to you lots of things, but two of the things I said were, the only person I could see taking this, or the only kind of person I could see taking this, is somebody who, for whom it wouldn't really touch them or their reputation if it didn't work. Because... You know, it's only four games. And so they're coming into a, a, a hit and hope scenario. I didn't see it being a coach who's thinking of the next 15, 20 years. Uh, and so I said, you know, maybe someone like Sam Allardyce. But as I said that, I didn't think for a second that I would then be sat on Wednesday afternoon at Thorpe Arch with Sam Allardyce sitting in the hot seat, answering questions about Leeds United, wearing Leeds United clobber. I also said in the car on the way back that I wasn't sure if Garcia's exit would be enough to appease the mood because it was meltdown territory. I mean, it the whole th- the whole lot went up, didn't it? Um, you had an away end that was just beyond. I don't I don't like using the word toxic. People say things that it turns toxic. Toxic to me suggests. Um, that it's in some way unreasonable or or incorrect. I think supporters made up their mind based on a, a serious weight of evidence. Um, they let the players have it. They let the board have it. They let Victor Orda in particular have it. And then you had the supporters advisory board come out with that statement, which was, um, you could describe it as two-footed, but you could also say, can you argue with any of it? Uh, and... And then when you had the slightly more nuanced episode of of the video coming out of the players uh, and some of them blanking the youngster, it just felt like a perfect storm and Leeds were trapped in the middle of it uh, (laughs) without something to hold on to. Um, And here we are. Victor Ord is gone. Um, Sam Allardyce is here. Carl Robinson too and Robbie Keane. And it's a very, very different world to the one that Leeds United have built around, constructed around themselves. That world has been stripped away now. That sense of there's a plan, there's a project. We're very clever. We're we're boxing clever. We're disrupting the market. We're built different. Does it say built different? You know, when you have to break the glass to bring in Sam Allardyce, Fireman Sam, with four games to go in the season, surprising even him. I mean, it's just... It's, it is quite incredible the way things have turned out. 
Yeah, and, and I don't know about you, Graham, but I think I, I get the feeling that sort of the, the big story or the big, I don't know, the, the most consequential sequence of events hasn't really happened yet because that, that will take place on the pitch. That will be the football over the next four games. While, yes, it's all very up in the air and um, quite difficult to process all at once now, you know, once a ball is kicked, that, that I think anybody who was maybe doubting that Sam Allardyce is the Leeds United manager, that will, I don't know, it'll, it'll hammer home when they see him on the touchline on Saturday uh, at the Etihad. Um, you know, Allardyce, he was joking about having an, an easy start. They don't come much easier than Man City at the Etihad. Um, I'm not really sure there's that much you, you can do. Um, I'm not really sure anybody expects him to get anything. Well, ne- never mind just from City, but from these four games. In a sense, he's right. Well, yeah. There's, there's no expectation on this game. You know, he was joking, but what he said was true. No one expects Leeds to get a result from this. No one expects much more than a 6-0 defeat. So what he's got, really, is... I don't want to say free hit because you're in a relegation battle. But if they got anything at all from this game, it would be seen as miraculous. So It, it could be the biggest win of the season if they got a draw away to Man City. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Because there haven't um, been many wins, but again, it, it would be... It would be the biggest result of the season by a yeah. mile, simply because of the expectation. I I just think that all he has to do on Saturday is to keep the score respectable. You know, that that's the, the first job, really. Um, and he, he said that the defence and the goalkeeper, you know, making sure that they're not defending on their own, is his big priority because they're shipping too many goals. Um, and that's exactly what you'd expect him to say. You know, you'd expect Big Sam to come in and firstly look at the defence. You know, he wants to get clean sheets. He wants to be hard to play against. Um, I, I just think heads are still spinning that Leeds have gone from Marcelo Bielsa to Sam Allardyce in a matter of months, really. You know, just 15, over 14, 15 months, yeah. Who, you know, if somebody had said the day after Bielsa left, even the day before Bielsa left, if someone had said in 15 months, Sam Allardyce will be coaching this club. You, you'd have institutionalized them. You'd have, you would have called in the uh, the WADA uh, drug testers um, to find out what was in this person's bloodstream and urine because you, it just would have been... You you couldn't have credited it at all with any semblance of reality or or probability, and yet here we are. Yeah, one thing that has been bugging me because you were at the press conference yesterday. Um, you asked Big Sam about um a completely unrelated topic, and then he went off on that tangent of, um, you know, I'm just as good as Pep, Klopp, Arteta, um, which is a fantastic line and and not one which you've been lauding over the rest of us for, ever since, um. That it was your question, but ha- just how big is Big Sam? You know, does he does he fill a room with his personality? Yeah, I was looking at him and thinking, you're not actually. I thought about this a lot. Actually, you're not, not actually that big. He, he looks in fairly reasonable nick, um, certainly for a sixty eight year old man. Um, he does have a personality, you know, th- that is large. <laughs> is yeah, Angus Kinnear said it yesterday. We spoke to him on the way in to the press conference. He said um, that Sam is not a man who suffers for for self confidence, and you know he kind of 
boomed into the the training ground and there was the sound of people laughing for the first time in a while. Um, I believe he went up to Pascal Stroik and using some expletives remarked on what a good looking boy uh, Pascal was. Um, but, uh, but I have been thinking about the big Sam moniker and um, John Bruin, who's the, at the Guardian, retweeted yesterday an excerpt from written by Sam's wife, Lynn, uh, in his autobiography. And he was called Big Sam at 16. <laughs> which is fantastic that he's which gone. Is, which how many is, years is that? At a bare minimum, how many years is that? He's been well, known as Big Sam for 52 years. Incredible. So for half a century, he's been known as Big Sam. Almost um, as long as you've been on the earth. <laughs> uh, he could be my father. Let's let's be real about this. But <laughs> you would never, ever, ever have got somebody calling Bielsa Big Marcelo. <laughs> like, like you just wouldn't have, would you? Like, you just, it, it's almost like it's a, and, and Sam's talked about this a lot, the kind of attitude towards British managers that there's a familiarity to it that it's almost like a British caricature that you just wouldn't see attached. I can't think of a, a foreign manager who's had the prefix big in their, you know, in their nickname, in the way they've been known to the nation. Um, big, big Javi certainly wouldn't have had big Jesse, would you? Um, no, you, you shouldn't, you couldn't have had that. Um. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing, but this is, you know, this is how he's known and this is who he is. And I think, I think now more than a physical thing, it's a it's a presence thing. Um, yeah, and that's what you I get. wonder if I wonder if Big Ron Atkinson, wherever he is, I imagine somewhere on the Costa del Sol. Um, I wonder if they, he's he's referred to as Grande Ron <laughs> out there. <laughs> um, interestingly, Sam said that you know when he was asked had the phone been ringing for the last two years, it, there were foreign opportunities that arose um but he he didn't want to take those um which did open up you know the possibility of him being um grand sam uh somewhere else but it, i think what was very clear yesterday was that he makes no bones about the fact that leeds should have picked up the phone earlier you know they've known where I've and the highlights of this season when they've been struggling they've known where I've where I am they've known where I am all season. He made it clear in February when Marsh went that he was keen and he felt he could sort them out. Um, he, he he made it known to the club, you know, if not directly then indirectly that he would he would welcome a phone call or a conversation, and Leeds didn't take him up on that. Uh, instead, they went for. Um, three foreign managers that they couldn't get and then they went for a caretaker and then they abandoned that plan they went for Javi Garcia um and that hasn't worked out either so maybe he's got a case for uh you know well now you've come crawling back or told you so um but he, he certainly didn't put it in those terms but there are lots of interesting things that he said yesterday I thought one of the most telling was when he started to talk about AI and data and algorithms and using those to improve you. He, I think that was very pointed to those who would call him a dinosaur and antiquated because, you know, since he was at Bolton in 1999, he used data, he had a war room, you know, he had analysts, they were using sports science, nutrition, psychology, 
he was at the forefront of all that stuff. Uh, and so there is there is a, a reality that's at, at odds with the impression of him as being a, a dinosaur. Tactically, you could you could probably have another debate because it I, I imagine it will be fairly rudimentary. He hasn't got time to do anything other than rudimentary at this stage. It's got to be basic. It's got to be solid, compact, probably direct playoff Bamford because you, in four games you're not going to institute you know, a different kind of football that's both organised and free-flowing. It'll entertain fans if goals go in and they get points. So that's taken care of. But amidst amidst all that discussion of AI and algorithms, he said about recruitment being everything. Some clubs have messed it up and others haven't. And I think that was as telling and as subtly unsubtle as it was going to get yesterday some clubs have messed up recruitment this season and others have not uh, and i think everyone can read between the lines on that one yes uh, i think we can um in terms of what big sam and and robbie Keane and, and carl i think robbie he's saying i think he's saying that leeds messed it up joe but thank you telegraphing that one yeah um, you didn't read that in the telegraph that was the yup uh-huh um so you got up early for that, didn't you? Like yeah. You need to do like a comedy warm up or something. It's like, it's like your first attempt at, at being funny today. And I know you can do better. But this is not this is not a time for laughing. This is a time for seriousness. Um, very very serious podcast. This is um, that that all the listeners I'm sure will will agree with. Um, what what can Big Sam, Carl Robinson, Robbie Keane get up to? this week or rather today thursday friday before man city on saturday because you know he said that his job sam allardyce has said that his job is to to look at previous games and see what has gone wrong but you know it because of how quick all of this has come about it's unreasonable to assume that he's had the chance to um to watch all of leeds games this season to 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 understand the squad you know we're in a situation here where in terms of the player's strengths and weaknesses, somebody who's watched every game this season probably has a better idea of the squad than Sam Allardyce does at the moment. Um, obviously, that'll change as he gets to work with them more and more, but it's a very peculiar situation. So, you know, what can we what can we expect? I mean, what, what is going to be the division of labour? You know, you've got Carl Robinson, who was managing Oxford United earlier this season. Um, Robbie Keane, who's been, you know, out of a job for a while, um, has been assistant at Middlesbrough with the Republic of Ireland, but most recently, um, according to Allardyce, he found that he was uh, a great personality when he worked with him on Soccer Aid. So it is a very um, hodgepodge sort of coaching makeup, considering that Sammy Lee is not there, um, unable to bring his uh, bring Bielsa's jacket with him. Uh, for for any sort of look that they exchanged on the final day of the twenty twenty one season, um, but yeah, what can we expect from them? Uh, I'm expecting Ollie Murs to join up with the squad as a free agent, and um, Usain, Usain, Usain Bolt might be brought in as a sprinting coach. Um, so the soccer aid, the soccer aid reference floored me yesterday. Um, here we are in a Premier League press conference. Um, I think Carl Robinson will possibly do a lot of the work on the grass. Uh, I think he was heavily involved in the first session yesterday. 
he's going to be um, groundsman. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the groundsman's still there, so I, I don't think they have to worry about that. Uh, that in that's fact, what it was. Javi didn't bring his bring in his own groundsman. Yeah, groundsman. Big Sam actually talked about looking around the you know the pitches at the training ground and feeling like we're back in the big time because actually they have really worked on the uh, the the pitch facilities at um, Thorpe Arch and they're supposed to be very very good. Um, I think the big thing for him in the next two days is finding out who he can trust and who is up who's who's mentally strong enough for this game against Manchester City. I think that starts with the goalkeeping position. And and he didn't shy away from that at all. He didn't say, um, he didn't just say, Ilan Mele is a great goalkeeper. Uh, he said, he's unfortunately, he's been struggling. Uh, he's been making mistakes that have cost goals. Um, which, he is did go on, which, is, which is completely true. He did go on to say, I think he's a magnificent goalkeeper, you know, Given the certainly given the age of him, and they'll have a conversation and, and how that goes and how Sam feels will will determine who plays in goal. Um, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if Robles got the start uh, against Manchester City. Equally, I wouldn't be massively shocked if Melier got the start because perhaps you when they said two goalkeepers, Graham. <laughs> well, no, but it but. You could, nice play, the you, could play, you could play Robles just in front, not to use his hands, but just to be a body in the you way. Just tape them behind his back um, to to remove the, the the temptation. I reckon he'd be a great centre half. You know, at like <laughs> at yeah, maybe one, when Sam Allardyce was playing at like League One, League Two. You um, were remarking at, at the vitality because he was doing the warm up with the rest of the players. You remarked just just how how big his legs are. You've said that about Pascal Stroke as well. Yeah, it's it, it's actually incredible that I would think if you ran if you ran into Robles, a ball comes through, and you're in on goal, and it's fifty fifty between you and Robles, and you know he's not going to pull out, you know, and you try and stick a, a, a foot in, I I think you'd be off to the hospital. I think Rob Price would be on the pitch with his his finger to his ear, and he'd be he'd be speaking to the St John's ambulance people, um, because he is an absolute unit. Robles um, certainly got presence about him. Uh, it's a really interesting one. You you almost wonder if Sam has set Melier up for a win here by saying, "Well, we'll have to have a conversation," you know, and and it depends how that conversation goes and how I feel. Because then, if he goes in, if Melier plays, then it's bloody hell. You know, that's a big a big display of confidence and backing from Allardyce to the goalkeeper. And then maybe you just remove the question mark over Melier altogether. But but is he not setting him up for failure in a way anyway? Because it is Man City. Like ultimately, Leeds are going to concede goals this weekend, and that is the last thing that that Melier needs at the moment is conceding more goals. Yeah, but but if the goals that are not his mistake are goals of his making, then I mean but... yes, but uh, I, I see I see that school of thought. But at the same time, as a goalkeeper, you simply don't want to concede goals at all regardless of if, if they're your fault or not true so with that said does then joel robles become the world's biggest sacrificial lamb and you know you throw him to the wolves to take that you say joel you're going in lad um got all faith in you and he goes they ship some goals and and then you say you know 
never mind, son, you did well. Melia, you're up for Newcastle. Well, who who's the who's the future? Which which of those goalkeepers do you realistically need to to keep on side in terms of their confidence, them not having the yips? It's it's well, Melia, isn't it? Yeah, but long term, you're thinking it's Melia. But my suspicion is that Melia is one of those who will look to move on in the near future because there's already been a little bit of chatter about that. Just just enough noise to make you think that somebody's thinking about it. Maybe not him, maybe his, his people. I If they go down, there's no way for me that Melia stays. I think, I think he is one of those who's sold to offset the financial pain of, of relegation. Uh, and I also think that he would see himself as above the championship. Uh, I don't think he wants to spend time in the championship when he's got ambitions to play for France at senior level and when he's clearly got ambitions to play at a higher level than relegation scraps. Um, and I also think that right now, player relations or, or, or keeping players on side for their, for their futures almost has to go out the window. You're almost saying to the squad now, look, this is the most side before self period of the season. You know, forget your ego, forget your international aspirations. The, the, the only thing that matters here is getting two wins or a win and a draw or winning two draws and hoping that that's enough to keep this club in the Premier League. Um, and and I, don't, I honestly don't think Sam Allardyce will be thinking about Ilan Millier's future when he picks his goalkeeper for, for the next four games. I think he'll be thinking of only one thing, and that's results in the here and now. And and let's be honest, his remit, the club have made it very, very clear that his remit is four games. It's seen as a temporary stint. So he doesn't need to worry about who's sulking and who might be off in the summer if, if they don't get to play. And, and also, let's be honest, if somebody is sulking right now because they don't get to play, do they have any right to? Are there any players in this squad that have a cast iron case to play every minute from here on in? The, the Willing Yonto. Willing Yonto aside, are there any players? I, I, I'm not sure that there are because... West, no. Um, no. I just don't think that there are, there are players who have been consistent enough and haven't made mistakes and haven't chucked in a bad performance. Liam Cooper was pretty solid, I reckon. Max Vober? Max Vober's been pretty solid. So there's a couple. But there's not there's not many that you think, oh, you're absolutely nailed on to start. I, I do think that Bamford starts, and it was interesting that when I asked Allardyce were there any players in the squad that he admired over the last few seasons, he said he really he really hopes that Bamford is fit and available because he, he thinks that he could be really important for them. Um but yeah, his first his first team selection and the formation will be will be interesting. You were talking there about who Sam Allardyce can trust within the squad. Can he trust you not to ask about Willie Nonto every week? Yeah, because there's so much else to ask him now. And also, you go into a presser now, and we should talk about Javi shortly. But you go into a, a press conference now, thinking everything's on the table. You know, this guy's a talker. He's going to answer questions and he's not, as we saw yesterday, he's not going to tiptoe around or, or walk on eggshells. Um, he's just going to say what's, what's in his mind to say. 
Um, and that stuff about Klopp, uh, Pep and Arteta, you're not telling me that wasn't a line that he had, that he's been thinking about, or just a thought that he's had that he wished to articulate and he just used that question. It was semi-related to the question, but it wasn't a very natural, that wasn't a natural tangent, was it? Um, do you do you agree with him? Because I, I the the you know he says I do what I do, they do what they do. I think that bit is quite important. You know, he says in terms of depth of knowledge, you know, no one no one surpasses me or whatever it was. To an extent, I do understand where he's coming from. I don't wholeheartedly agree with what he's on about, but I do think in terms of experience of the game, there there, there can't be very many who who exceed him um there'll certainly be different experiences that Klopp that Arteta that Pepel have had they'll have probably I mean they they have rubbed shoulders in in European football with with different coaches from different cultures so but English football I think Big Sam probably has quite a good grasp on 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 what it takes he took um, Bolton into Europe didn't he um, he, did, he did he got he drew 2-2 with Bayern Munich with Kevin Davis and Kevin Nolan I think so you know, he, where's his knighthood? There's a there is a reason why he gets jobs in the Premier League. Is it because he intimidates the interviewers? <laughs> Quite potentially. Um, there is a reason why he gets jobs in the Premier League. And if you speak to anyone who was at Bolton at the time, they rave about him, and they don't remember just Route One basic football. You know, there was there was individual brilliance that he brought in, and like we, like we talked about, there was all the, there's all the data and all that stuff that that he's very very much into, and the off off pitch side of things being very very meticulous. I think the he would argue that he's as good as them, but he hasn't had the opportunities that they've had to work at the elite clubs. Now, obviously, he went to England, and we all remember how that ended. Um, but he clearly feels like, and he said this so many times, that if he was foreign, he reckons he would have managed one of the one of the big boys. Um, well, Roy Hodgson isn't foreign, and he's no, often categorised been... with the likes of Allardyce and and Dyche. And we, as we've discussed on this podcast before, you know, he managed Liverpool. He's he's managed West Brom. He's managed, you know, just like Allardyce, he's gone and managed Switzerland oh, and Inter awesome. Milan and. Various other clubs, and there is you know, he's, he's, he has also said Sam Allardyce yesterday that he did have offers from abroad, and he turned them down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There is a snobbery, though, isn't there? There, there just is. Like there is, a lot, yeah. A lot of the discussion about Sean Dyche, I think there's a snobbery there. Um, Hodgson, as well. I mean, Hodgson hasn't he hasn't won many things, has he? Um, but not many, not many do win Premier League titles. Uh... Well, exactly, yeah. It's some. I, I read a stat recently, which was incredible. That if something like if Newcastle finished third, it would be the highest that uh, a, an English manager has finished in the Premier League. And I was, I was, I was racking my brain trying to think. You know, is there? I mean, first of all, there's no English managers have won the Premier League. And then I was thinking, well, okay, what about those who finished second, and then? You kind of get a lot of Scottish managers and Irish managers, and then you're thinking, well, actually, no, yeah, that's, that's a good point. English managers typically don't win win things domestically. No. Um, 
I think it's definitely more nuanced than simply if I was called Sam uh, Allardicio, then I would have, you know, would have managed Man United or or Liverpool or Chelsea, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I think he probably has. I think he has a point in there that there is a snobbery about uh, English managers. Um, yeah. That- did you see? Um, and, and there's and there's probably like a misplaced sort of humor about it with with these types of coaches and you know lots of people will make laughs and will will have laughs and make jokes about it ultimately you know they're in that position for a reason but on the topic of humor did you see there was a tweet which was shared yesterday and it was with big sam allardyce returning to the premier league he's reclaimed his top spot on the list of premier league managers ranked on how likely they are to eat a packet of crisps whilst on the toilet and it was every premier league manager ranked and Sam Allardyce was at the top. Sean Dyche was second. <laughs> Dean Smith third. Um, Mikel Arteta's bottom. Why, uh, why Mikel Arteta's bottom? Why? Yeah. You just can't imagine it, can you? Why do people? Why are people so convinced that this is this is a an, well maybe it is an English thing. I'm not English, so I could say that. It's certainly not a, not a British thing. It's not not an Irish thing. There's no tato being consumed. Oh, I was going to get in there before you with the with the tato. There's no tato being consumed on the on the can. Um, That's just because of the import costs. Who, who thought? Who thought to themselves? I wonder which Premier League manager is most likely to eat packet of crisps. Well, I'll tell you who. It's somebody who runs a fake Carlton Cole Twitter account. So uh, that's course. that's probably why. Yeah, you know, they're, um, they're, they're wired up that way. Yeah, that's uh, maybe a discussion for another day. Um, yeah, maybe, I think maybe, it is a dis- it's a discussion for uh, for the car on the way back from from an away trip. Um, pub discussion rather than it. It's also the kind of discussion I could imagine Sean Dyche being quite happy to take part in. Um, well, yeah, not when he's in the middle of a relegation battle, though. Did you see the um, the question that was asked of him? Uh, you know, we're asking all managers this week. Um, <laughs> who do you think the the masked Premier League rapper is? And he's like. I who's can't believe you asked me that. Who's the best rapper in your squad? Um, yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was. But during like, was it during lockdown when he was all for press conferences going off on mad tangents and talking yeah, about like looky likeies? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It, somebody else said, "I can't believe where these press conferences are, are stooping to, uh, or the, the level to which we're dropping." And he and he was like, "Dropping? No, we're raising our level." <laughs> and he, he didn't want to talk about all the normal stuff. He wanted to have a laugh with it. Um, he's not someone compared him to Mick Hucknall. He's not, yeah. <laughs> he's not in that mood now, is he? He's not. No, uh, very he's much so. No. Um, and nor would you be. You know, and and probably because he's only second. He's been usurped at the top of the the ranking for managers who are most likely to eat a packet of crisps on the toilet. Do you remember when it he was definitely asked... be smoky bacon as well, or like roast chicken? <laughs> Do you remember when he was asked in uh, in a press conference? About eating worms, yeah, yeah, yeah. My word, can you can you imagine for one second a foreign manager being asked something like that? Can you uh, imagine for one second being the person who lets those words come out of their mouth to ask <laughs> Sean Dyche in person whether he actually eats worms? There's 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 bravery and there's foolishness. Um, yeah, that skirts between the two. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Sam Allardyce could be a manager who would bite back if a question was mm. not to his liking. Um, I also, like I described him as Teflon yesterday. I don't think he's completely Teflon because it bothers him, doesn't it? This image of him being old and antiquated mm. and, and a dinosaur, it, it obviously 
rankles with him. Um, and he and he had, you know, he had points to score yesterday when he walked into the press room. But, but yeah, it'll be very interesting to see the tack he takes if if things turn spiky if, for whatever reason, it goes really badly wrong or it doesn't quite go right. Um, somebody said to me yesterday because obviously the nationals, uh, a couple of them have reported a a two point five million bonus should he keep leads up, which for a four-game stint is utterly remarkable. But then in Premier League terms, given the money that you you earn for being in the Premier League, it's it's chump change, isn't it? Um, but somebody said to me, can you imagine if Leeds don't take a point and stay up and he walks away with three million um, or takes one point, you know, three million for a single point? Um, I would applaud him and say, well done, that man, because uh, because that is... Um, that's called gaming the system. Uh, I was thinking about this from uh, a financial perspective. You know, you look at the the average. I don't know the average wage packet of of the Leeds United squad, and per month, uh, per year, they're probably taking home three million. So Allardyce is getting that for a month. Yeah, yeah. That's like, well, this is well, this incredible. is this is where you leave yourself when you need a manager with four games to go because you've sacked the manager who replaced the manager you sacked. So yeah, nothing, nothing really says project gone or project dead than having to bring in a manager like Sam Allardyce with, with four games to go, you know, uh, somebody with a reputation, whether he likes it or not as a, as effective firefighter who can come in and keep you up Um that hasn't been the extent of his career. That hasn't been every job, but he has done that at a number of places, and that's why and he's earned a pretty penny doing so. so. Yeah, and that's why Leeds have brought him in to do it, and so they've left themselves in in this position. Um, but you certainly wonder, you know, what on earth the conversations have been like at, at board level over the past since Sunday, really, um, when it just all went to just all went to pot in such a big spectacular. Spectacular is probably not the word. Spectacular suggests it was fun in some way. It must have just been horrific. And, you know, we should probably come on to talk about the departures rather than just the the, the show that's rolled into town. Um, my understanding was on Monday that there was a difference of opinion between the board who thought that Javi Garcia had to go and they needed to bring in someone like Sam Allardyce uh, and Victor Orda who felt that that wasn't the way to go and that Gracia was worth sticking with and he could probably get the results they needed. Um, I think Gracia thought that as well. You know, he's made that clear in his statements, hasn't he? But order was on the other side of it from the board. And yes, that probably played a big part. But didn't you also feel on Sunday that with fans chanting his name, protesting his position at almost every recent game, that his position was becoming largely untenable. That you know, that this summer was the time for him to get off the bus anyway. Because when the fans are not having you, you just become divisive. And particularly if there's going to be a new owner this summer, you don't want to be getting off on the wrong foot with the fans. You don't want kind of legacy issues that um, that that breed negativity. And and. Unfortunately, the fans were no longer having Victor Order. So 
I feel like that departure was an inevitable one that was simply hastened by this this difference of opinion over what they should do next. Um, but who could have seen this coming? You know, like even no, when even the most optimistic of tarot card readers probably couldn't have foreseen this so set of events. Um, a, a lot of people have been discussing, you know, what what's gone on at half time against Palace for this to happen. There might just be a simple explanation of they just. They just weren't very good in the second half. They started slowly. They were shell shocked, and as a result, they lost quite heavily. Well, it, it's, it's the conceding goals in bunches, isn't it? Thing. It's the yeah. conceding one, and then your punch resistance going. That's the yeah. the irony being that Jesse Marsh, throughout the entirety of his reign, said we need to try and score goals in bunches. Yeah, and yet the story of the season has been Leeds conceding one, and then four minutes later being two 0 behind. Yeah, I mean. We have we have heard from people who uh, operate in and around the dressing room that there wasn't anything that majorly kicked off uh, in the Palace game. If there was, it'll come out at some stage. You know, somebody will drop it into uh, an interview or drop it into a book or whatever. Um, oh man, I've got to do some reading. That'll <laughs> that'll it, it will come out. It just will. Um, but regardless. The squad hasn't been good enough. The squad is misshapen. This this squad isn't one thing or another, really. It's not a squad. It was a squad for Jesse Marsh and a style of football that no one else is playing. And Javi Garcia didn't play that style of football. So injuries have also played their part, but the squad just ultimately isn't good enough. You know, they got the recruitment wrong. Um, they got January horrifically wrong because Ruter, as exciting a player, a talent as he is and will probably go on to be a very good player, he wasn't the right player and to spend that amount of money on the wrong player was just it's just madness it just looks worse and worse the longer this season goes um and weston mckenney you know unless big sam can turn him into something very very useful over the next four games then i think he'll have to go down as a a wrong option as well um and and they didn't get what they needed you know you, you look at a lot of the decisions and windows gone by like not getting a midfielder in Bielsa's time like not getting a number nine last summer or or in January you know just the left back situation they're still so light at left back without a without what you'd call a very good natural Premier League left back the squad's just not good enough and Allardyce said it himself that was you know go back to Sam when he was asked about possibly taking the job he wasn't he wasn't saying, Oh, I really hope that I can show the board what I can do and, and, and that they'll consider me. He was saying, Well, it depends how I feel, really. And also it depends on recruitment because it's obvious this squad needs uh, strengthening. I'm telling uh, you, he, he intimidates the interviewers. That's what he does. Yeah, and and, and he, he he certainly he's not gonna be begging for a job, is he, in the summer? Um if anything, if Leeds want him, they're gonna have to convince him to stay. Um but he said it, the squad the squad needs strengthening. It's it's Quasimodo esque and surviving in the Premier League is is Esmeralda. It's it's just a a situation which looks very very unlikely, but there's just that that glimmer. Um, and, and also for for anyone who's who's listening, there might be a little bit of background noise. Would um would Neo, the family pet, like to to say something on on Allardyce's appointment? Maybe put uh, the microphone next to Neo's mouth. No, he I. He gets wildly excited by football, as in a football, but I don't know if he's got an opinion yet 
on the beautiful game itself as a concept. Uh, it's difficult to know, really, because it's a dog. Um, <laughs> we should we should talk about we should talk about Javi. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I feel like this club has probably chewed up and spat out a number of good people over the years, just simply because of the the chaos that that seems to envelop the place and the demands and the expectation and just how quickly things can spiral. Um, things really did spiral out of control for Gracia in a horrible, horrible way since that second half against Palace. And a, and a, a guy who came in who seemed very composed, very sensible, gave almost boring press conferences that just settled everything down. wasn't given out any wild quotes. wasn't um, wasn't really given any headlines. wasn't given opposition teams anything to pin to the wall. And it all seemed very sensible until suddenly it all seemed absolutely bonkers. And he he just could not rein it back in. He couldn't. It was like a, a like it was like a wild dog got off its lead and he couldn't get the lead back on it again. Um, and and I, I feel for him because. He seems to me like an incredibly genuine, incredibly humble guy. And I, I thought his press conferences, his press conference against Bournemouth after the 4-1 defeat, to me, he looked and sounded broken, you know, just a bit lost. Uh, and I felt for him, really, because he was given a hospital pass. Uh, but also, I just felt like he was bewildered as to how to how to stop the slide. Um and ultimately, that's I think why he, he he probably had to go. That and the the goal concessions, you know, they were just shipping so many goals, so many bad bad goals, uh, and he and he couldn't stop that. Um, but even in amidst all of that, there wasn't really a question that he ever shirked. He didn't raise his voice to a single journalist. He didn't kind of uh, there was no wry smiles or um, knowing looks or um, glares. You know, he just he just took it all. With very good grace, uh, and then his very statement, good very good gracia. So his statement that he made um, yesterday, where he wished the club well, where he made sure to thank all the staff for their support, thank all the players to say that he'll be supporting the club. Uh, I quite liked as well, though, that he made clear that he felt that he'd made a difference and that they were in a better position because of him, and also that he felt he could have got the results he needed. Um, you know, it wasn't just a it wasn't a pushover of a statement, but I thought it, it had quite a lot of class to it. No, I think he's a classy guy. I think most, I mean, the vast majority of, of people who, who've had dealings with him in the past, I think they would all say the same, that, you know, he's somebody who comes across very, very genial, very, um, you know, reserved, but, you know, respectful, professional. Um, it's just ultimately it didn't work on the pitch and it's a results business. Um, so you can understand why the, the decision was was taken. Um a bit harsh that he was Trevor Francis, um, and given the phone call on his birthday, um, that's obviously relating back to when Trevor Francis was Crystal Palace manager and Simon Jordan rang him up and um, and delivered the bad news. And he said, but it's my birthday. <laughs> it's just the saddest. It, honestly, isn't it? Isn't it the saddest thing you've ever heard? But it's my birthday. Oh, it makes Something me like Milhouse, his dad, would say, like on The Simpsons. Makes me hate football. It really does when you hear stuff like that. You just think, well, there's just the football just kicks you repeatedly when you're down, doesn't it? In a horrible, horrible way. 
and it and it seems to take great relish in doing so. Indeed, it does. Um, in terms of, I mean, we've discussed Javi's departure. We've, we've discussed Victor leaving the club by mutual consent. Sam Allardyce coming in. Um, we we haven't discussed the the video. Uh, we've touched on it. The video of the the Leeds players, or the, the the clipped video, because there was obviously uh, an earlier version of that, which showed Luke Alien fist bumping and Javi going over and tickling his chin and uh, whatnot. Um, but the video of the Leeds players sort of walking past a, a young fan um, who was, you know, out trying to collect autographs and, and just, you know, have a wave and, and an acknowledgement of them. I think in the immediate aftermath of Bournemouth, when that video went viral, everybody from a Leeds perspective is angry. Everybody is upset that, you know, the team have lost and they look to be on a spiral. And it is an outlet, you know, that you can very rightfully be angry at. Um, so I think that there was a bit of, you know, I don't, I don't want to absolve the players at all because, you know, what what is what is a look? What is a, a little nod of acknowledgement to them? Whereas, you know, compared to the little lad, it must have been, you know, incredible to get, uh, you know, five seconds with Jack Harrison as he did or, you know, a, an autograph from Brendan Aronson uh, as he did. Um, but yeah, we, we, were, we were trying to sort of come to terms with it, trying to, I don't know, find the right response in the car on the way back up from Bournemouth, weren't we? Yeah. Because it well, doesn't sit right with you. I wanted to get full context before wading in um, because it didn't tally. For me, it didn't tally with the behaviour that I've seen from this squad in the past and, and the, the the humanity, the levels of humanity shown. You know, Adam Forshaw driving over towards Manchester to go and visit uh, a little lad who was gravely ill a Leeds fan at his home um Liam Cooper you know going to a hospice to sit with a uh, a Leeds supporter who was sadly uh, dying from cancer um and all the other stories that you hear and all the other stories that don't come into the public light of people being welcomed to Thor Bart and given special treatment by Dallas Cooper and the like um even a couple of days even the, the press conference for Bournemouth when we went into Thorpe Arch, there were some kids sat in the foyer, and players were coming out for pictures and, and treating them like royalty. And um, and I've seen it, I've seen it with my own eyes loads of times. The way this squad have been with supporters, so that video just felt really jarring. It felt like you know what's what's gone on here. Um, we know that when they arrive at the hotel, and when they go on their their walk as a team in the, the morning, activation walk, activation walk, uh, they. They sign autographs, they post for pictures, they say say they say hellos. Then they have a team meeting and they are told um, it's a it's a club thing. They're told you're getting on the coach now, so you get your bag and you go. But it doesn't mean you can't smile on the way through. Now, personally, I would make it a Premier League edict that players can't wear their headphones uh, unless they're on the coach. Um, can you imagine if I got into your car? We're driving to a game. I went, you're right, and, and, and stuck my headphones on for the duration of the journey. Um, now it's different because they're athletes and they're getting into the zone, and I understand that. But the whole headphones thing does rile me a little bit, that you, you don't have to have your headphones on as soon as you leave the team meeting and to walk through the foyer. I, I just don't think you do. You also don't need to study your phone. You do, you're not getting into the zone. You can't tell me a player's getting in the zone by scrolling through Instagram as he walks through a hotel foyer. 
But oh, that's how you get ready for a game, isn't it? You know, when yeah. I'm setting up the blog and doing doing all the work. Um, what that's, I presume that's what you're doing. That's Graham's thinking time. I've told you. Um, but it did it did feel like the, the video needed some exploration, and I I spoke to somebody who was present in in the foyer, and they were quite damning of the players who didn't, uh, but did make it clear that some had a handful had actually spoken to the lad, um, and then of course it goes it blows up. Um, and se several kind of high-profile uh, mouthpieces chime in, and it all, requires all the footy banter accounts. Yeah, and it requires a response, then, doesn't it? Um, I think it required a response anyway. But the the family of the little boy, Dylan, wanted to reach out and tell their side, and they wanted everyone to know that actually he didn't feel besmirched in the slightest. They didn't feel like he'd been badly treated. And they didn't feel like an apology was necessary because incredible if he did just turn around to mum and dad and just go, I feel besmirched, mummy. <laughs> and I demand satisfaction. <laughs> well, I don't know the, the levels of the, the, uh, the Southampton education standards. I don't know if those are the kind of words he's, he's learning at, at uh, seven or eight. Um, but they made it clear to me that loads of players had stopped. Garcia had stopped to speak to him. Forshaw fist bumped him. Um, you know, there was five or six. When he went on uh, TV, morning television, he reeled off a, a slightly longer list, uh, saving that one for the broadcasters, which I liked. Bit of in, in, <laughs> in, in, some embargoed information there from the dad. But um, but yeah, they, they were very clear. Like, we, we don't feel like an apology was necessary. I disagree uh, on that point. And I think two things can be true at once here. The little boy had his day made by Jack Harrison, etc., stopping and speaking to him, and he went away feeling like that was brilliant. Um, didn't actually wasn't actually there for the game; was just there to see the players. And he came away feeling like Probably job for done. the best, job done. Yeah, job done. I've met my heroes. There were other supporters though in that foyer who were who were blanked by some players, and I think that required an apology. And it required some acknowledgement from the team that we can do better than this. Uh, so apology wasn't needed from the family. I think it was needed generally and it was delivered and we can move on. But it was, it's the, you're right, it's the context that it, it happened amidst a firestorm of everything else that, that probably exacerbated things. Um, I don't imagine there'll be footage of certain players walking past fans uh, in the future with their phones out and their headphones on without grinning uh, or putting a, putting a thumb up. Um, they're they're I not think... going to get to the Etihad at this rate. They're going to be signing every autograph on the They'll be holding up singed thumbs uh, just in a fixed <laughs> position as they walk through the, uh, as they walk through foyers from here on in. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it is, it is important. I think, I mean, I remember one of my first, footballing memories was meeting Gary Speed and, and Shea Given um, before a game and that was something which I still remember now um, you know it was you, I don't know just when you're that young meeting your heroes even if it's just one or two is is an absolutely huge event um, you know who who did you meet from from Bangor um, no <laughs> doubt they, they won't have Wikipedia pages or anything well, like that but, uh, um, actually you're wrong there um, I met Ricky McAvoy, who was a very, very good player in the League of Ireland and then the Irish League, won the Irish Cup with Bangor in 93. Sounds very, like a pro-evolution soccer player, but go on. Very, very tricky winger, uh, a creative forward. 
I met him and Timothy Dalton, uh, not the James Bond. Hang on. <laughs> not not the James Bond Timothy Dalton. The equally Dalton, Timothy Dalton. The, the equally suave uh, goalkeeper who played for Bangor. And I was out with my family in a restaurant in the town centre, uh, me and my brother and my parents. And these two walked past and they were sitting upstairs. Um, and I was like, that's Ricky McAvoy and Timothy Dalton. And the waitress overheard me and said, oh, do you want me to take you up to get an autograph? And I was like, yes. So we went up to get an autograph and they, they signed the autograph. And the waitress said, because my brother came with me, the waitress said, because she got us like paper and pencil, um, would you like one as well? And Ricky McAvoy replied, oh, they've got one. It's fine. And and even they've at got that, one. They've, they've got one, it's fine, as in share it. And I remember even as like, I must have been 10 or 11, I remember thinking... It ought to be going autograph hunting, Graham. Hang, hang on a minute, mate. <laughs> You're, you play part-time football for Bangor FC in front of 300 on, on a good day. You know, if, if Lauren or Ballyclare are in town, granted maybe a thousand if Linfield are here. Like, are you really so engrossed in your scampi and chips that you can't sign two pieces of paper? Um, but, you know, undeterred, I went back to my parents and said, um, I feel a little besmirched, but we did get an autograph. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then and then uh, my mum or dad got this little, like, plastic case for it, so it sat in my room uh, for a couple of years, which was banger-coloured, actually, yellow and blue. Um, I also met Pat Jennings in Newton Ard Shopping Centre, hands the size of ham hocks, honest to God, the biggest hands you've ever seen in your life. Bigger he, than Popey's. I was yeah, much bigger than Popey's. Um Jeez. And I I was much younger at that stage. I was probably like four or five or six. And he asked me who I support. And I and I said I support uh Rangers and Bangor and Northern Ireland. And and he went, Oh, and I went and Aston Villa and Brazil and Tottenham, <laughs> Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspur and Fiorentina and AC Milan and just listed about and I I my I remember my mom saying that I just didn't stop listing football teams. Uh, and then I think he made some remark about how you can only really support one, uh, which really confused me at that age. I was thinking, well, how can I choose between Northern Ireland and, and Rangers on Bangor? Um, but he was great. He was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I think, other than that, I met Gary Croft when Grimsby came and trained at the, the pitches around near us. Uh, and he was asking me about the troubles, and I was asking him who on the training pitch was worth a million pounds. And he said, oh, there's nobody worth a million here. And two weeks later was sold to Blackburn for a, a cool million. Um, so humble, yes. Liar also, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and that gave me my first taste of, you know, asking a player a question and not getting a straight answer. So it prepared me, I think, for for a career in A journalism. lifetime of um, having to read between the lines. <clears throat> did you, as someone who grew up in the Northeast, did you ever meet... Uh, Anyone else other than Speedo or Given? Did you ever meet um, Keith Gillespie, per se? I did not meet Keith Gillespie, um, but I did meet uh, Julio Arca. Um, a really? Couple of time, a couple of times, actually. Came to a lot of my uh, football presentations. And I remember they always used to keep it a secret. So after the first, I think I met him three times. After the first time, it was like, and we've got a special guest from one of the Premier League football teams um, to present the, the trophies tonight. And it was Julio Arca again. So naturally a little bit disappointed. <laughs> and then the third year it happened was kind of like a, are they taking the mic now? 
Was it the, was it the kind of get. was it the kind of groan that the West Stand emits when the substitute that gets called back to the technical area isn't the one they wanted? Was it like that? Uh, yeah, I, as I as I remember it, yeah, it was it was that type of groan. Um, I did all meet, also meet Paul Gascoigne at a football oh, presentation once. That's, um, that's fantastic. Was he in good in, form? Uh, well, I mean, I only shook his hand, got my trophy, and then went and got my photograph taken. Um, that is fantastic. Though. That that was in Southport though. Um, and that that same tournament a, a year later, uh, or it might have been the year before, I can't remember, uh, met Paul Merson as well. So um, not quite Keith Gillespie, but, you know, similar. Um, <laughs> similar but different. Similar, uh, yeah, same but different. Um, I'm trying to, trying to rack my brain. Otherwise, other people... Uh, well, it's, it doesn't really count now, but um, St. James's Park the other, the other year, was it 2021? It must have been at that point, yeah. Um, I remember after the game with the this was still the time when press conferences were on Zoom and I was sort of sat on in the press box. Um and Jacob Murphy now playing out of his skin, um, but definitely was not at the time, kind of walked up the stairs beside where I was I was sat and I kind of made made eye contact with him and I thought, No, actually I'm I'm not gonna acknowledge you, like you're only Jacob Murphy. Uh, but he sort of gave me the all right, mate, head nod. And I thought, oh, I feel quite bad now that I've kind of just stared right through. <laughs> um, but that doesn't count. That doesn't count as meeting someone. Um, because... I had to I had to shut the door on Jerry Taggart the other night at Elland Road um, because my namesake, who works on security and welcomes the greets the press and gives them their accreditation at Elland Road, um, fantastic guy. The, the like little enclosure bit, the little hallway was too full of people and we just needed to stop more people coming in so he said oh just can you just shut the door graham so i turned to shut the door and and there was jerry taggart and so i just went sorry and shut the door in his face <laughs> and then i got my accreditation and i opened the door and i said oh really really sorry jerry that felt incredibly rude and he's like no no you're all right and um on that for, for me he was a bit of a hero when i was caught he was an Northern Ireland here scored a goal against germany that uh, i remember also just hit the ball very hard and headed it really hard as well and kicked people equally hard. Uh, so I really like Jerry. Um, and I... Last one, last one, and it's mine, because um, this one also happened to Ellen Road. Um, just in, in the press room, I was kind of, you know where the fridges are, sort of down yeah, down low. Yeah. Um, so have I, and the coffee machine's just above that on, on the, the countertop. Um, I, was, I was going to get a bottle of water from underneath, and I just sort of went to slide the 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 fridge open because uh, it's one of those slidey doors um and getting a coffee unbeknownst to me was was jim beglin and uh he sort of i just go oh, excuse me sorry mate and uh as i grabbed the bottle of water he kind of turns around and goes i was wondering what you were doing down there <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and as he said it i was like oh my god it's itv's champions league coverage from when i was younger um <laughs> And yeah, we had a we had a, a brief sort of laugh about what what I might have been doing down there. But I was, I was like, no, no, don't worry, Jim. Just going for a just going for a bottle of water. Prehydrate, don't dehydrate. He um, thought you were tying his shoelaces together. Yes, I, you know we get up to all sorts of mischief in there. Um, but it's it's in fact speaking of tying shoelaces together, um, we could get Willie Nyonto to do that to Erling Holland at the weekend. Um, in the in the yeah. tunnel before kickoff, it's going to take more than that. I think somebody's going to have to take a meat cleaver to his right foot 
Um, okay, fine. Even, we, can, we can entrust Cree Somerville to do that then. Willie will stop at tying shoelaces together. And even then, he's still got a left foot and could still score a header. Um, the guy will be good at hopping around. The guy is incredible. Like, just actually, that, that dink last night, you know, he just, yes, he scores a lot of goals, kind of close in, reacting, instinctive poacher type stuff. But that finish, the little chip, was just superb. Uh, and as Sheffield United find out, even if you don't let Erling Haaland score a goal, someone like Mares can rattle in three. Um, they just have a, an embarrassment of riches. So stopping Haaland would be great, but can you stop everyone else at the same well, time? The rest of them, yeah. The rest of them. Calvin Phillips and the like. <laughs> Yeah, Calvin Phillips will be making an introduction from the bench after 92 minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, just before we go, then quick, quick, quick uh, prediction. Oh, dear Lord. I'm going to say 3-0 defeat. Generous. Um, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go 4-1. But it's going to okay. be a, a more encouraging performance than a 4-1 away to Bournemouth. A different four one, okay. A different kind of different, yes. Okay. Um, well, yeah. I, think, I think what we've done though is we've we've played into Sam's psychology here, and we've set the bar very, very low, so that anything better than that feels like an uplift, and it, and it'll give people hope. Um, but it is a it's a strange old time for Leeds United right now, and you can never ever predict what's going to happen next at this club. Um, you couldn't you couldn't second guess Bielsa. Uh, you never quite knew what you were going to get with Jesse Marsh. Um, Victor Orda was not a predictable character in the slightest. Javi Garcia, pragmatic but maybe slightly more predictable, but he just got engulfed by the chaos of what was going on on the pitch. And now we have Sam Allardyce in charge, and I think all bets are off at this stage. It's a it's a hit and hope for Leeds and a free hit for him. And um, it's not going to be boring, is it? No, it's not going to be boring at all. Um, but yeah, that's just about it for this week's episode. Thank you for tuning in to the Inside Ellen Road podcast. Um, hopefully Sam Allardyce's discussion and um, ramblings about AI and technology um, will find a way to, to, to scramble the circuits of Erling Haaland this weekend. Um, 35 goals this season Premier League record I believe it is now he could do with the rest couldn't he um, yeah that's all from us on the Inside Ellen Road podcast I've been Joe Donoghue and joined by Graham Smith your YEP Chief Football Writer um, we'll see you after the Etihad take care bye for now The Inside Ellen Road podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate in Leeds PR Supplies, everything for the home.